those of you who are sticking around, folks, oh, we're in for a treat. We're going to have a huge, huge fight with Ben Burgess. Oh. Yeah, over uh, cancel culture. And we're going to give him an argument. Uh, I mean, exactly. Um, when Matt, when you were that's going... What we should have, that's what we should have called this episode, give him an argument. That's right. Argue with Ben. Right. Oh, that doesn't work as well. Yeah. I'm going to take my break. Bye. How about this? Okay. Uh, Emma's going to step out for a second, and then we'll have uh, Ben come in. Um, we could have been like, oh, here's your argument. Yeah. Or... Um, well, we'll take your argument. You got to go. What are you doing? No, I'm trying. I'm vamping. <laughs> well, because I just thought it was fun to talk about. All right. I'm leaving. Bye. I'm vamping. I'm trying to do it. I'm trying to like fill time. Ben. Ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to uh, welcome uh, back to the program uh, the, uh, well, I guess the host of Give Them an Argument and uh, the author of We uh, Canceling Comedians While the World Burns, uh, out now from Zero Books, Ben Burgess, uh, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you for having me on. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's good to be back. It's, it's like, uh, it does feel a little strange and a little sad since the last time I was on was a Michael Thursday, but, uh, but yeah, it's great to be here. Yeah, um, that I, 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 I mean, maybe for another day, but that has always been something I've been sort of like, uh, conscious of and, and sort of, uh, you know, um, weirded out up about a little bit but um let's 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 move through that and let me ask you this why can't we ourselves into a better world <laughs> uh because the effect of it is uh the opposite of what we want in order to achieve a better world uh that we need to build solidarity uh and help people to focus not on the moral character of individuals but on um creating better structures of society and, and to the extent uh, that we end up being very focused on, you know, morally judging people and kind of excommunicating them for their, their perceived sins, uh, we're doing the opposite of that. Isn't it interesting? I mean, just to, to be provocative, I feel like mm -hmm. a lot of the people who are, you know, most crit like the the people in on the in the liberal sphere sphere who are most critical of like the carceral state and how mm -hmm. um punitive it is are very quick to be uh cancelers <laughs> in terms of just like people don't have uh the ability to rehabilitate themselves in the public eye at the very least and i understand that like to an extent it's about powerful mm -hmm. people so there is that but it is this emphasis on the individual that I think rubs you the wrong way and at least rubs me the wrong way. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. I mean, I'd, I'd also point out that uh, that people uh, being like having tweets be misinterpreted and go viral and having uh, and, and possibly facing professional consequences for that. Uh, is not only something that happens to powerful people if, if you read like uh, john ronson's book you know so you've been publicly shamed. A lot of his examples are of people who would be, you know, nobody would have ever heard of if not for that. But even when we are talking about somewhat powerful people, uh, you know, which certainly comes in degrees, uh, like, you know, being the editor of Teen Vogue is not like being the Secretary of Defense. Uh, and in uh, and in that instance, right, there, there was a there was a recent incident where somebody who was hired as the editor is a, a woman in her late 20s and uh, 10 years before. Uh, she has, as a teenager, she had tweeted things that were trying too hard to be edgy and edging into mild racism, and she had apologized for them many times. 
Uh, and but she was still, um, you know, successfully, you know, pressured to resign or, you know, in a corporate environment like Condé Nast, you know, whether you're when you say you're doing that right, whether that's a nice way of being fired or resigning is often unclear. Uh, and I do think that there's like a, there is a kind of performative contradiction the way that you're talking about, because presumably anybody who's, you know, who's, who's a leftist, you know, who, who works for them, which is quite a few people. I mean, weirdly enough, there's a lot of very left content in Teen Vogue these days. Uh, that uh, like presumably thinks that uh, we're too carceral as a society, uh, certainly supports, you know, banning the box on employment applications so that once you get out of prison, your criminal record won't be held against you. And, and it does sit very um, uncomfortably to on the one hand say, like a rapist who gets out of prison should be allowed a second chance, you know, and, and to have, you know, and, and should be able to have a you know, productive career and everything like that. But that somebody who was guilty of bad tweets, uh, you know, ten years ago, uh, should should not, right? I mean, like I'm sure there are ways that you can make those two positions consistent. But I mean, at the very least, I think there is a little bit of tension there. I, I, okay, now I got to be honest. Like when 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 Matt said that he was going on your show a couple of weeks ago, mm. you know, and we were all getting geared up. He, I think Matt thought it was going to be spicier than it turned out to be, and it was not. You didn't guys didn't get as much an argument as that, like. And then I was excited to get into an argument with you about it. You were but excited I, to give him an argument. I was excited to give you an argument. But, um, but, but, I, but I think, like, you know, let's be clear here, though, in terms of just even that analogy. Uh, the, the rapist has gone to prison and presumably, um, presumably had some moments of accountability. Now, I mean, if we're talking about, like, um, you know, the, the severity of the accountability, but I have a real problem with this with just even the concept that a cancel culture is like a new phenomena mm. um, and um, and that that's one of the problems I have with just the whole idea of this, you know, so-called cancel culture. The other problem I have with it is like, why, why like, why is it necessarily a, and and I and I agree there are excesses uh, uh, involved in it, of course, without a doubt, like like anything else for that matter. Um, but why is it that can't that the, that thing can't coexist with the type of politics that are a little bit more material based and maybe much more material based? I mean, look, the fact is, and and I, and I don't want to get too far afield because I'm I'm presenting two different questions here, but the fact is is that. Our whole society has been involved in a culture war at least since, I don't know, I mean, I mean, probably for the past uh, 60 years and and, you know, since the 60s and that culture war has taken on different uh, issues at different times. But, you know, in 1993, Pat Buchanan is at the Republican convention talking about how disgusting it is that a. Um, you know, that uh, or maybe I guess it was Dan Quayle, who was the vice president uh, uh, nominee at the time, like how disgusting it was that Murphy Brown was having a child out of wedlock. For those of you youngs, Murphy Brown's not a real person. Murphy Brown is a was a sitcom character. OK, I mean, so this cancel culture has been going on or at least like this, this, this cultural fight, the cancel part of it that has been going on is like. 
I don't know. Why didn't I get this job? Well, it was because you came in with your hair too long or you came in and, you know, you you wrote about this somewhere. We're not going to tell you. We're not going to broadcast it. It's just that, like, the power lies with has been democratized as to who gets to succeed in society and why. Yeah. Uh, so, so there were two questions there, but first I want to, I'm very curious about which of Matt's appearances on the show this was and what he thought he was going to argue with me about. Um, but i uh, going to have to get some clarification from that. Now this that, was, that later. this was your appearance uh, on our show, Ben. Sorry. Sorry. It was yeah, <laughs> your appearance on, on, on uh, left reckoning. Sorry. Left reckoning. Okay. All right. All right. Fair enough. Just, uh, just like to keep track of that, you know, whether, uh, whether Matt should be allowed back in the show. So, uh, yeah, I think, um, so I, I think on the, the newness, you know, question, um, I, I think the issue is, is really what we're, uh, what we're talking about. And I would, uh, I would, I would actually also separate out two different things, which is one of them is the general phenomenon of, you know, what's sometimes called cancel culture, or I feel like a slightly older and maybe more accurate term was call out culture. Um, which, which is something that infects uh, the entire political spectrum. Uh, and so that's, that's, one, that's one issue. And then the other issue is how it affects the left, which is what I care about as a leftist who, who wants the left to be more effective, which is the focus that Article and Jacobin you were referring to, we can't cancel our way into a better world, and of course, of course the focus of the book. Uh, so on that first question, you know, this sort of general cancely trends in the larger culture, uh, and how and how new they are. I don't think it's a uh, I don't think it's a binary thing, right? Like either this is totally without precedent, or there's like nothing uh, there's nothing new or different, right? So I, I would argue that there are a lot of different uh, factors that have come together to make it more of a problem in the last several years. Uh, so, like for example, the thing that I mentioned at the beginning of the article about uh, Jeopardy, where you had 450 uh, former Jeopardy contestants who signed this open letter uh, denouncing a current winner for making a uh, gesture with his fingers to indicate they'd won three times, which uh, to them looked like something that it's, you know, some people say is a white supremacist thing, although there's a, you know, Snope says it's usually, you know, not, it's just a normal gesture that everybody makes. Uh, and, and I think that's something, uh, maybe you disagree, I, I would have a very hard time imagining like hundreds of Normie Jeopardy contestants, you know, getting together on something like that in like the 1990s. Uh, but I, I you that's, know. That's, but a, I, I'm sorry, that's, that to me seems like a technological issue, right? I mean, it's really, it's just like, um, the, I, I, I mean, because I know on the right, they were doing that in the 90s. It's just that they, they, um, they were doing it through churches or through um, through uh, direct mailers. I mean, they were there, there's no I mean, I, I mean, I, I the, the you know, I, I mean, I'm my all my examples are from like 2005. But like Lenny the shark is teaching kids how to be, uh, you know, um, uh, trans. I mean, this was a real thing in um, whatever that kids movie was. I mean, the, the, your examples are kind of on the of, of people on the right. Yeah, yeah, no, they're on the. They were doing this on the right because they had the organizational structure to do it. They had churches. They, they I mean, they. they this was happening. Uh, it, yeah. it just. It was. Yeah. I mean, Jeopardy contestants probably wouldn't do it, but they would have no way of getting in touch with each other. Now, yeah, so, so, so I, I do agree with you that that part of the difference is technological, uh, and and I think that the technology makes a difference in a couple ways. 
Um, you know, one of them, sure, is just ease of communication, but another one is that I think that social media platforms uh, are designed to be as addictive as at all possible. They're, they're for-profit uh, platforms. This, this is none of it, you know, uh, controversial, I think. Uh, and in particular, I think that the feedback loops that are built into them uh, tend to reward our uh, cancelliest uh, impulses. So uh, a, an example I often think of is uh, from uh, last year uh, when uh, Wendell Potter, who for people who aren't familiar with him, was a former health insurance executive uh, who uh, had a uh, come to Jesus moment about the issue um, you know, many years back. Uh, and has since devoted his life to fighting for single payer. And he quoted and he uh, tweeted something that was a very, like a very typical Wendell Potter tweet. It's like, oh, the fact that people uh, don't realize how much Medicare for all would help us during the pandemic uh, is really a sign of, uh, of how much, you know, like how people believe the lies that I told when I was a health insurance executive. He's tweeted stuff like this nonstop for years. Uh, and uh, somebody uh, quote tweeted that, presumably having no idea who he was. Uh, and and said, uh, oh my God, this blanking piece of blank, you know, blanking admitted it. Uh, and that had gotten 75,000 likes uh, before enough people told him who Wendell Potter was that he took it down. And my point is, isn't that this particular person, you know, who tweeted it should do better, although, you know, uh, it's that, uh, like, why didn't he, right? Like, because he could have, it would have taken three seconds to click on Wendell Potter's name at the top of the tweet. Uh, see his Twitter bio and see all the single payer stuff there. The reason he didn't, I think the feedback loop that's built into it is you get that little endorphin rush of likes and retweets for throwing the first stone in, uh, uh, in something like this. And so it really, it really rewards it. I think if you put that together with the fact that we live in a neoliberal hellscape where people are incredibly atomized, they often feel most connected to each other online. And you put that together with the fact that most Americans work in at-will workplaces, non-unionized, uh, so uh, doxing is a real, you know, is like a very potent threat. I think that all of that stuff adds up uh, to make this uh, much more toxic and much bigger problem, uh, again, for everybody. I mean, I, th I think that, you know, you can trivially easily find examples all over the political spectrum of this happening. Uh, but what I'm concerned with, and maybe this takes us to, to your second question, uh, you know, the sort of, you know, was it the, the meme question, you know, why not both? Uh, that uh, I think that the, the problem from my perspective um, is that uh, oftentimes the way that it plays out in the left is that we're way, way too quick uh, to believe the worst possible interpretation of what, what each other do, that because this, the party line from so many people is, uh, you know, cancellation, smanchelation, you know, nothing to see here. Uh, so we don't even see it as a problem when we do it. And I think that makes it, uh, I think that creates a, a toxic atmosphere that's that's very unappealing to a lot of people that we might otherwise win over. And I think that that, uh, that makes it harder to build solidarity uh, for those, those larger goals. I think it makes people more likely to burn out. So why is this, you know, I'm just like, a lot of this is based in social media critique, right? Yeah. So you know, can you expand it to a larger critique of like culture? Does this exist outside of 
you know twitter or or which is a huge part of it i understand and like i i think your point about the dopamine hits of likes mixing with the dopamine hits of i'm better than you know louis ck or something like that um like that is probably quite addictive to people um but outside of social media is it is it cancel culture then mm -hmm. yeah i mean i i think that again I, I do think part of the problem comes from the structure of social media itself uh although that's also a big problem. I think it's way too easy to say, ah, oh, whatever, log off, don't worry about it, go for a run. Uh, but of course, in 2021, um, social media, the internet in general is a huge part of where political education, political discussion, even political organizing takes place. We just finished a year where that was the only place that it could take place outside of rare, you know, rare exceptions. Uh, so so I think that's a, that's a real problem, even to the extent that it is. Uh, I'm not convinced that it it is uh, solely uh, you know solely confined uh, to uh, to that though because I think that is you know if you look for example at ways that it spills over into into real life with people getting fired and stuff if you look at the way uh, that like the Barbara Ehrenreich example given the Jackman piece that you had uh, like Time Magazine you know sort of casually repeating you know the uh, the, the sort of most uh, harsh of you know version of the accusation against her uh i i do think that uh i do think that's a problem in real life and i want to just just make one real quick point about this which is that so far what we've mostly been talking about is this general cultural problem and how it might infect the left uh but i i think that there's also an element of this that is something that there's there's a problem there's something else that's at play here which is more specific to us which is that uh for so long, anything, any kind of option to the left of liberalism has been so far out into the wilderness in, uh, in American political life uh, that, you know, before basically 2015, uh, that that was like, you know, people like Bernie Sanders and Jeremy Corbyn spent most of their lives as very marginal backbenchers. Uh, anything more radical than that was completely off the table. And I think in that environment, it's very easy to start to think of left politics less as a serious project to change the world than as a kind of symbolic moral stand against the world that we're living in right now. And I think that can be bad in a lot of ways uh, that I talk about in the book, but I think that one way is that it can, uh, it can lead people to, uh, to get much more canceled with each other on the left, because if all you're really doing is exhibiting your, your moral commitments uh, then it can be very, you know, very easy to get let that shade into spending all of your time interrogating whether everybody else is really, you know, is really sufficiently morally committed. You know, I mean, I, I, I heard, you know, Sam Cedar was an effing sellout, you know, like, like that we should like that. There, there is, you know, th I think that that there is a lot of that that comes out of those sort of pathologies of powerlessness. And what I'm worried about is that when we're suffering from that already on the left, and also there are uh, these sort of general trends because of technological change, because I would argue neoliberalism, uh, that the, it adds up to a, uh, to a really toxic uh, cocktail that, you know, that I think even in petty examples, like people yelling at each other at the DSA convention because, you know, one of them says, uh, you know, hey, guys, don't make loud noises, you know, because some people might have noise sensitivity and somebody else says, oh, my God, he just said, hey, guys, you know, that's gendered language, you know, don't do that. Uh, that like that's that's not something that I think makes us look like a club that most people want to join, and I'm concerned about that because I want everybody to join the club because I want us to win. I, I want to just 
put a pin in that second part because I really do think that is actually the sort of the most fertile and interesting ground. And, and I think we're um, the, the first part about the Wendell Potter thing. Mm. That to me is like to call that cancel culture, that the problem there is cancel culture, I think is um, it, it is the, the, the term becomes really unhelpful because like, for instance, when Mike Cernovich essentially created a firestorm about a tweet that I had nine years earlier uh, that was in response to. I, I think most people know this story, but it was in response to a uh, Roman Polanski. There was um, there were people and I was more associated with with with, uh, with the entertainment industry at that time, just in terms I had relate more relationships. Friends I knew had signed a um, uh, a petition by 100 directors uh, to essentially allow a Roman Polanski come back in the country and get like a lifetime achievement award from the Oscars or something, despite the fact that he had been out of the country on the lamb as mm-hmm. it were, uh, for, um, for the, the rape of a 13 year old girl. And uh, I wrote it at the, the time, um, you know, a satirical tweet that was to the effect. I'm not, I don't, I don't quote it, but it's, I think it's probably pretty close. Like I don't care about Polanski. Uh, I just hope that if my daughter is ever raped, it is by an older um, uh, man with a great sense of mise-en-scene. And um, and Mike Cernovich paid Jack Posobiec to dig through my tweets. They searched the term rape. That's all they could find. They put that out there. It was retweeted by Donald Trump Jr. and Seb Gorka. And it got me essentially fired from MSNBC for a couple of days. Um, but the bottom line is like, that to me was not cancel culture. That was some guy weaponizing what, what you know, public uh, do, doing what is this era's version of a public smear campaign. And when you tell me the Wendell Potter story, that's shit, that's an idiot. That, that that person who did that with Wendell Potter is an idiot. You know, I mean, Wendell has been a guest on this show for, I don't know, 12 years. And, you know, that's just somebody who doesn't know what they're taught. They're just an idiot. And yes, it, it, it hurt Potter in that moment. 75,000 people repeat this. Um, but to say that that's cancel culture and that's the same thing as saying that, like, I don't know, somebody uh, who is... Um, uh, you know, that, that Charlie Rose, let's say, um, you know, what, what happened to Charlie Rose to say that those two things are part of the same phenomena. The essence of the phenomena is the same for those two just seems wrong to me. Like one is using a, a mechanism to hold someone to account, but it's fraudulent. <laughs> it's, fr- it's a fraudulent interpretation uh, that you're holding them to. The other is using a mechanism to hold another person to account who has not had to deal with any type of accountability and has, has been fortunate enough to live in a society where they have more latitude. I mean, and I think that like, you know, I, I can come up with examples of people who I think were unfairly canceled. Like I think frankly, Matt Taibbi, you know, what other issues that people may have with them. But I, I said at the time and I still believe like there was no, there were no accusers. There were no accusers uh, for Matt Taibbi. He didn't. Right. Have any. 
And yet it destroyed uh, the rollout of his book. And I thought that was, you know, wildly unfair. But I think that was like there was people who were disingenuously doing things. Um, but I think there's other people who do stuff who like lose their um, their audience or at least a big part of their general audience that I think is like, eh, you know what? That's OK. That's fair. And and I think there's also a, a quality of this like maybe sometimes it goes too far. But if you're talking about changing I mean, I can tell you when 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 stuff went down during that time with Louie and other people, I would talk to managers out there who were and, and lawyers and guys. And there were a lot of people who were afraid. And I was like, hey, you know, maybe you've been inappropriate. Uh, I mean, like, they, like if it changes their behavior, I don't think that's a bad thing, actually. Um, and which is not to say that I think everything that happened with Louie was was fair. Yeah. Um, but um, but some of it I do. And and I'm very and I consider myself very sympathetic to Louis's position. I you know, uh, you know I've I've disclosed in the past. You know I spoke to Louis after the fact, and you know I think there are some things in the reporting that was unfair, and that uh, but I also think there was like you know sort of there's a debt that builds up right mm. that, that if you don't address certain things, um, and th- there's a debt that builds up, and and I think like that's a. Um, I think that's a dy- dynamic that happens across the board. I just think that like th- that phenomena of accountability is not new. What's new about it is two things. One, mm-hmm. technology and a methodology that can be abused. And two, that it provides that that methodology and technology provides power to a different set of people in society that um, it doesn't equalize things, but it certainly changes the dynamic. Yeah. So, so what what I'd say about uh, about all of that is that uh, I think um, what I would think of um, you know as as cancel culture or call out culture or whatever you want to call it. I'm I'm not um, I'm not really that concerned about fighting about words, but with whatever sort of phenomenon uh, is under discussion. Uh, is uh, is a, a bunch of trends that we talked about earlier uh, that I think converge in um, hair trigger, uh, you know, mass denunciations, and oftentimes an atmosphere of sort of mutual surveillance, right? You know, we're going to see if we've got anything, you know, that we can that we can hold against you. Uh, and of course, the fact that hair trigger denunciation is bad doesn't mean that nobody ever deserves to be to be denounced or or to to lose their job. I mean, if, if you're sexually harassing people, you know, whatever. Like there, there certainly, you know, there certainly are cases uh, where that's uh, where that's appropriate. Uh, but one, I think that this stuff is incredibly capricious in terms of uh, of who is is who who is taken down and who is not. You know, there's no sort of principle there. Uh, in ways that would actually be most helpful to people who might be victims of things that that actually do they do deserve uh, to be protected from, uh, and two, I don't think the fact that Sarnovich was trying to smear you or the fact that the person who tweeted the thing about Wendell Potter was an idiot, uh, I don't I don't think that either of those negate the larger problem. In other words, that um, the question to my mind is how is it that this many people are this ready to jump on a bandwagon like that, you know, which is what can lead it to be abused by bad faith actors or just sort of, you know, stumbled into unintentional abuse, you know, by idiots. 
because bad faith actors and idiots are always going to exist. I mean, that's inevitable. The uh, the, the sort of question is, uh, and and I'm I realize this gets us into the, the question of solutions, which is the hardest part of it. I mean, I've got some thoughts, but uh, that the that um, the question is whether we want to uh, to to live in a world where it's just that easy, right? And in particular, uh, coming back to the question of uh, of the left, and you know, and, and sort of instances of uh, of left on left, you know, cancellation of Barbara Ehrenreich or Natalie Wynn or other things like that. Uh, whether uh, having a movement where we don't even sort of see this stuff as a problem. Uh, is is helpful for sort of building solidarity and getting people uh, to focus on that kind of more material politics. Yeah, I want to uh, uh, let me just say one more uh, piece to that, and then I want to turn to that other part about you said like the the uh, the, the the sort of the, the inter left uh, mm -hmm. sort of um, uh, assessments. I mean, I think that like my my sense of this, and it may be wrong, is that um, you know there was. Uh, my daughter was part of a generation, I think the first generation that had over 50% saturation uh, with phones at a certain age or something. And, and, and um, I think when I, I, I'm convinced this is a technology, technology issue more than anything else, because that's the only way that, you know, you know, uh, social media is the way that people get famous for doing this. I mean, I remember that woman, she has since left, this sphere, I cannot remember her name, but she is the one who wanted to cancel Colbert. Uh, mm -hmm. I don't know if people remember that from way back. I mean, this is even pre-Emma's time, but this is before people even referred to it as cancel culture. But literally the hashtag, I think, was cancel Colbert because Colbert had done, I think, a, I can't remember what it was. It was a joke that was um, I, uh, perceived. I, I don't even want to say what it was because I honestly can't remember. But... Um, the and so I really do think this is a technology issue, and I think that like you know there was a um, there was a um, Brendan saying the joke. I, I don't think that's correct. I, I don't want to say what it is because I'm not I'm not convinced about that. Okay. But um, it, the uh, there there was a time where it was like you know I was really really careful to make sure that my uh, daughter it was like to explain to her like you can't send pictures to guys like that are inappropriate that you think are going to be protected, let's say, you know, this wasn't an issue, but I'm, I'm, I, I wanted to make her understand this dynamic because if you put stuff into digital now, it's a totally different world. Like you, you this is going to exist for decades somewhere and you're going to give people the opportunity to, and, and I think it like society had to make a big change, right? Like, I mean, there's stuff that I did in college or in high school or in junior high that I am, I, I mean, I'm not thinking of anything specific, but I am really glad is not living right. in mind forever. And, you know, there was, um, uh, you know, like, you know, the idea of like, whatever, uh, people plagiarize or, or whatever it is, or, or, you know, they, they, they get kicked out of a, you know, a dorm or whatever, whatever it is. And like, uh, or, you know, some kid got kicked out of the, the school they were in or, 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 you know, that's a big advantage that, that my generation had is that like you had an opportunity, your past was disposable in many respects. Like it didn't have durability um, more often than not, unless it became a newspaper story and it was on microfiche. Um, but it is, um, 
that that doesn't exist today. And there's going to have to be there. There's going to be it's for for better and for worse. There's going to have to be an adjustment to what you do. And you there's certain things you can't trust. Privacy has a different definition now. And um, I think just as people are adjusting to that reality, they also have to adjust to the reality of like the way that what we're calling account or call out culture, cancel culture operates. And I'm convinced in five or 10 years, you know, the, the Wendell Potter of his time can get 72,000 likes and people are just going to be like, that, that has no relevance. Like it, it, it's, we've already figured out the, we've already developed the antibodies for that type of thing. There's some other, uh, you know, as a society, we no, we no longer hold the faith in what some one person tweets in the same mm-hmm. way. I think to a certain extent it's already happened on some level. Right. And, um, and, and you know, uh, and that may mean less accountability for some people, frankly, like, I don't know, like would Chris Cuomo survive, uh, at a, at a slightly different era, um, to find out that the guy's been, you know, helping his, 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 his brother message. I mean, you shouldn't do that as a host of CNN. Right. I mean, when you have him on as a guest, that's not, you know, uh, but I think like CNN's inoculated on some level. Well, I mean, my, my understanding is that everything that's bad that uh, the Cuomo brothers ever did is just Italian culture. So uh, that's, uh, yeah. Discrimination. But yeah. <laughs> exactly. It's the Sopranos. It's like anti-Italian discrimination. Uh, yeah. So I, I think um, like, so part of, part of the issue here that I, I would say, you know, there's, there's the, descriptive disagreement maybe right like you know what what's going on are there things that we can coherently like sort of group together as a trend uh you know how should we think about it and then i think there's a a strategic issue uh so part of that strategic issue gets into the you know the intra-left stuff but there's also there's also a part about how like leftist progressives you know should should think and talk about this issue in general because i think that part of the problem is that the culture war dynamic tends to be that if um somebody on the other culture war team makes a big deal of something you know the uh the sort of automatic response is is to you know put a minus wherever they put a plus and vice versa and and you know and and sort of bitterly fight about that, which means that because, you know, in the last year, I think especially like the politics, this issue have gotten very weird. Like if you compare it even 2020, when the Harper's letter happened to 2021, uh, the, I think there's been a thing where, where Republicans and conservatives have sort of latched on to the fact that this is a thing that a lot of people are concerned about. And then their strategy is then just to lump in everything they don't like with it, right? So, so you know, Mr. Potato Head, whatever, like just like, like just the any sort of random bullshit that has nothing to do with anything, you know, they'll sort of lump in with that, and it gets confusing and incoherent. Uh, but then I think oftentimes the left strategy is just to say, well, there's no such thing. What are you talking about, right? You know, it's not a problem. And at least assuming that, I mean, of course, if there really is, if I'm wrong about the descriptive issue, then then maybe you should say that, you know, regardless. But uh, if not, I think that that might be strategically misguided. I think that you know we might be better off saying, like, take, you know, taking trying to take control of the issue, and to uh, and to say, look, uh, you know, these guys can complain about it, you know, all day and all night, but they don't really have any solutions. 
Whereas there are things that, you know, happen within a left program uh, that would, you know, not completely eliminate the issue, but I think, uh, but I think alleviate some of the harms that it causes. Uh, so certainly rebuilding the labor movement, ending at-will employment. I know this is more radical and controversial, but I would also say taking uh, social media companies into public ownership so that, you know, the sorts of decisions that they make about, you know, algorithms and stuff uh, would be different than ones that they might make, you know, based on, uh, based on profit incentives, that like, these are things that can, that can actually help, right? So rather than just saying, there's no problem, there's nothing to see here, uh, you know, like, if you think that there's a problem, that's just because you've been propagandized to, I think like a, a more of a winning message might be, uh, this is a problem and here are some things we can do about it. I, I mean, I, I appreciate that. I mean, I wouldn't necessarily nationalize. I would, uh, I would, I would, um, I would chop them up with antitrust. And I would also, uh, part of that antitrust is also just sort of say like, oh, we're, we're not going to allow for certain algorithms that you deploy. Like, we're just not going to. Um, that's part of, that's it. I mean, that's you take it or leave it, that type of situation. Uh, I don't know if we want the government responsible for those decisions uh, because it's that's that becomes a huge mess. What is easier is to say, like, here's some regulations that we're not going to allow you to you're not going to be able to mix from this pile and that pile and um, uh, to create your algorithms because it's anti-competitive and uh, it's going to cost you guys a lot of money. But um, we're going to have there's going to be eight Twitters. And um, it's just not going to be as effective for you. Uh, so, so, so if there are eight Twitters, I, I don't, I don't know how much we want to get off on this, but like, I, I guess I've never completely understood the uh, the mechanics of of how this proposal works. Like, uh, is it like literally that like, okay, I'm friends with with Emma on Twitter one, and I'm friends with Sam on Twitter two, and I got to remember, you know, which uh, which one, or like, because oftentimes when people talk about breaking up the social media companies. Like I can understand saying, okay, Facebook and Facebook Messenger and Instagram can be different companies, but that still leaves Facebook uh, as like a massive, like a, controlling like a massive amount of the flow of information. If if you split up, in addition to Facebook and let's say uh, Instagram, if you you split up, let's say the advertising uh, mechanisms mm -hmm. and the the algorithms that come from advertising cannot mix with the algorithms that come from your friends. Um, the reason why you end up getting multiple Facebooks there is because none of it is as profitable. And so they don't have the ability to scale in the way they do. They don't have the ability and you're not allowing them to buy their competitors. So there's a lot more competitors going to crop up. It is going to make the social media uh, experience less integrated and maybe, you know, in some ways uh, less functional. But so what? I mean, I, I, you know, it's like, I, this is my argument about YouTube. Like, how about this? No algorithm. Like, you're not allowed to get the data from your users that allow you to feed them certain things. Like, you can't track what they've watched. How about that? Like, I mean, well, that's going to make it impossible for us to, to become, you know, make a, a, a zillion, you know, dollar uh, revenue. Yeah, it is. Sorry. Might hurt our show, though. <laughs> I mean, like, if, say, someone wants to watch Ben, Ben, we might get recommended. Like, I feel like you can make the... the, the it, it, it would, without, without a doubt, hurt our show. And, uh, but I'm talking about a solution that is, like, <clears throat> better for society. I mean, I, I was an advocate for the... Um, for the fairness doctrine and the people at air America, are like you can't do that, dude, because 
the only reason why we can survive is because of of format right. you know uh format purity and i'm like i don't give a shit like <laughs> like the whole point where we're doing this is to make society better and the, the, it's, it's, better, it's better to have a society without Clear Channel or Amer- Air America than a society with both. Absolutely. Like, I'll go find something else to do or, or, you know, or we'll figure out another way of finding our audience. Like, that's not, you know, the, 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 the primacy of the business model is not there. But anyways, but, but, but we don't, that's, that's for another uh, episode. But I want to get into the part that you said, like, training people. The, the the and I think this is really interesting idea and I never heard it articulated that you said that being in the wilderness and it's true it wasn't until 2015 like I mean I we would have Bernie Sanders on back in 2004 on our and I and I, I don't know if there was another national media outlet in the country that didn't have him on as some type of like sort of freak like you know you can see Phil Donahue's shown it's like, look at this guy. Whoa. And like, how does it feel to be, you know, and how we, does it feel to be the bearded lady? Yeah, exactly. And 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 we would just have Sanders on, you know, to uh, uh on uh, Janine and I on, on the show, just be like, this is a great congressman. And um and the and, and people would call in and go, like, you're liberal. And I'm like, dude, it's a progressive radio station. Of course I am. In fact, I'm to the left of that. And they would just Oh my God, you just said it in public. And it's like the, the, the term liberal, the the term liberal went from the, like, like really like, like you from the right as, as deployed from the right was like basically calling someone a child molester in 2005. And now it's like basically calling somebody a child molester from the left. (laughs) And it is, I mean, the change has been dramatic. But uh, the, just talk more about that idea that that being in the wilderness there ended up being like, hey, I have found some discrepancies in your uh, your ideological um, makeup. Because I, I mean, for me, I've never been uh, terribly interested in you know sort of what um, uh, like what my uh, naming my ideology. Mm-hmm. I, I don't, my ideology has a name or maybe it's sock down, but it is, um, I would see, you know, we had libertarians calling like I'm an, uh, you know, an oncologist libertarian or I'm an yeah. ontologist or whatever it is. But my point is, is like, I'm like, I don't care. Just tell me what it is you want to do. Um, but talk about that concept. Uh, yeah. I mean, actually I think that's an interesting analogy because, uh, even though of course, People who are like soft libertarians have far too much power in the real world. Uh, this the sort of like really special people who would, who would maybe call into this show and uh, and and talk about how you know we don't need to have sidewalks and stuff like that. Uh, sort of also maybe knew that they uh, that they weren't going to be able to fulfill that program anytime soon. So there there might have been similar dynamics going on there. Uh, but yeah, I, I think that. Um, you know, what I call in the book, you know, the pathologies of, of powerlessness is something that can manifest in a lot of different ways, uh, because, and like to think about like what we're talking about, like I often think of my, my friend Daniel Bessner, who, who likes to point out, like if you read like Noam Chomsky, and I love Noam Chomsky, no shade on Chomsky whatsoever, but like if you read Noam Chomsky, there's never a point where like on 100 page 97 or something, he says, okay, if a socialist government took power, here's how it would deal with this foreign policy problem. Uh, because during most of the time that, that he's writing, uh, that would just 
like that was so far from being something that you would worry about, you know, that it, it would it would sort of feel like saying, well, when I'm, you know, enthroned as the emperor of the galaxy, here's what I'll do, you know. Uh, and the problem is that when you're in that situation for a very long time, that like you can basically either just be like a, you know, liberal, uh, or you can sit on the sidelines, you know, angrily rereading, you know, the collective works of Marx and Engels, you know, for the 10,000th time, uh, then I think it's it's very easy to start to think about politics less as a concrete effort to change the uh, material world and and more as a as a kind of symbolic protest against the uh, the many injustices uh, of the uh, of the world around you. Uh, and I think that's what leads people to to do everything from uh, if you think about like a certain, I don't want to exaggerate, I think it's a tiny sliver, right? You know, even if the online left, but like if you think about people who make a big performative point about like trying to rehabilitate the reputation of uh, of authoritarian governments uh, that, you know, say like, you know, for whatever the, uh, you know, comrade Stalin did nothing wrong, you know, whatever people like, what's like, what what's making them tick? Right, like, like, why, why would you do that, right? Because you know, if your, if your effort is to actually try to convince people that, like, a better form of, you know, socialism, you know, which should be democratic as possible, that now be the most counterproductive uh, thing, thing possible. But if you really want to feel like you're taking the hardest, most radical stand possible against the society that you live in, that starts to make sense. I would argue a lot of arguments about voting. Uh, you know, there's similar dynamics. I would argue that uh, that some of the ways that people argue about are very attached to sort of very radical sounding slogans that start with the word abolish but often don't have very clear meanings uh you know is is a uh, is a function of that uh and and i also uh and i also think that a function of it is that you tend to get a lot of uh intensity about very very small differences because if you can't change the world around you you can at least change the, you know, the little socialist organization, you know, that you're in or whatever, you know, you can at least take that over and bend it to your will. You know, if you live in a world where it's incredibly difficult, you know, like this many years after the Americans with Disabilities Act was passed to get landlords to obey it, and that's incredibly frustrating, but you can at least get DSA to, you know, to tell people they can't clap, you know, and, and that and that scratches some of the, uh, some of the same, uh, the same itch. Uh, and uh, and then I think in particular, it, it does, I think, oftentimes coincide with, you know, like mixing with these larger cultural trends. I think it does lead to a situation where we become incredibly concerned, you know, with seeing whether everybody else is exhibiting the correct level of, uh, of moral commitment that, you know, that if you can expose that someone who says they're on your side, like really isn't or isn't enough, or, you know, that they said something that might've just been a clumsy joke, but might've been like a re revelation of how they really feel that, you know, and you've exposed them and you've driven them out of the tent, you know, you feel like you've done something politically when I would argue that you're actually, um, you're actually making it more difficult to accomplish anything politically uh, because uh, you're making the left, you know, much less appealing uh, and uh, and it's it's just and uh, and because in order to change the world, you need to build solidarity uh, with other people. And I think that this kind of thing is fundamentally counter solidaristic. Well, it, it, it's it's about working backwards from this very specific identity that you've carved out for yourself by like, I am this 
very specific brand of leftist and it's not about building power it's really to me and it brings back to kind of the individualistic point like from what we started it's about like buttressing one's own individual sense of moral righteousness more than it is about um building power in that way and i i think that's maybe a lot of what your critique centers on right um, yeah, for sure. I, I just want to add it's like it's it's about media consumption habits people say they're right. moving left because they're diff- listening to different podcasts and like at a certain point like what what's the actual work that's being done for the left besides you know what you're deciding to put in your ears and and also just like it doesn't it allows you the comfort of being able to have an identity that you've perfectly curated um, that is very specific and almost dogmatic and religious in a way that doesn't do anything to further leftist power. Um, and it's like it's it's almost like a, a crutch for people who are insecure in their way to to, to digest politics. In my yeah, and, and I think that you see it in a way that since 2015, there is a certain kind of leftist who's like mad that like more people are calling themselves socialists. Uh, that, you know, that's like that, uh, that they'll sort of, uh, so like, well, they, all these people who, who really, you know, their politics are not nearly as good as mine, right, are suddenly aligning themselves, uh, you know, with, with, with me and, uh, and, identifying with with some maybe vague and confused that's okay when people are are starting to move politically oftentimes their ideas are vague and confused that's something to work with you know but like instead of seeing that as a good thing you know like there there are some people who really do react to that uh like uh like like somebody who's like soured on their favorite band you know because because they've gotten too big I was just going to say that it, it, when you were saying that, what reminded me of when when um, uh, Smells Like Teen Spirit came out. Yes. I'm dating myself now. But when well, that came was, out, yeah. everybody who had seen Nirvana during the Bleach tour was like, this is bullshit. <laughs> and it was like, and it's like, OK, I mean, I get it because you think they're going to get maybe I mean, maybe the fear was like they're going to get big and they're going to. They're going to, you know, lose their hunger and their music's not going to be as interesting. That seems like, OK, but. If the point is to get as many people identifying a vague set of politics that are significantly left of where they where that, you know, that cohort was three or four years ago, who cares? You know, like, I mean, that that people are calling themselves this like this notion of uh, and really, I mean, like, I think this came up in the first half of the show. Like at one point, I remember. I can't remember where the quote is from, but there was uh, a Israeli military who were confronted on their alliances with like the far right. I think it was in Europe or was either the Christian Zionists who were touring in uh, Israel. And then somebody said to this guy, like, you know, they they're here because they are hoping for the resurrection of Christ. And that means that you as a Jew are going to burn in eternal hellfire. And the Israeli, you know, uh, generals was like, well, I'll deal with that when, you know, Christ comes back and that's, you know, like, like in the meantime, I'll take their money and I'll take their arms. And, you know, uh, I'm First not the Lord and pass the ammunition. Exactly. Yeah. Fine. I mean, the, the, we, we can deal with the apocalypse uh, when the apocalypse comes. But like in the meantime, they're helpful for my political project. Use it rather than sort of like, hey, when we take over and uh, we are deciding who's going to be the ministry of whatever it is, uh, I don't want you in my coalition because I could tell you you're just not, you know, like, 
you're getting ahead of yourself a little bit, it seems. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that you see it um, in, like, the obsession that a lot of people have with uh, with deciding that, like, um, that AOC, you know, who, you know, whatever. I mean, she's a politician. I think all politicians are basically mixed bags, you know. But, um, but the, but, like, people who are obsessed with, like, showing that, you know, that there's, like, nothing positive about the fact that she's in Congress or that like other people with, you know, uh, views vastly the left of the democratic establishment, you know, are, are, are in Congress. And, you know, the the point is not that you can't like criticize somebody when you think they get something wrong. Of course you can, you know, but like when, when it's sort of a, a strange obsession with showing that it's like, no, there's actually nothing positive or welcome there. Then to me, that feels a little bit like missing your own marginality. Yeah. Well, they're also, I mean, and there, me, there's, there's other, there's other, to, like, there's other stuff going on there. Right, right. Yes. Yeah. I mean, there's like a, there's this like latent, incredibly like bizarre, sexually violent aspect of it too. That is just like, that, I think that, I think there's, I think that's true too. And I think there's also just sort of a profit motive. I mean, I think there's a, or whatever it is, whatever, whatever, you know, clout, profit, whatever it is, um, there is, it's a, it's an identity and, uh, there's, a, you know, this, this space is very much about, uh, you know, sort of like, uh, you know, branding and self-branding and self-marketing and that type of shit. So, well, I mean, Yes, from the creator's perspective, but from the people who are consuming it, there is a... Yeah, I, I mean, I mean, it, it is probably like, you know, whatever you think about any of these people, it is also probably like, okay, almost anything that you can say that would be critical, you know, I mean, not literally everything, they're different people and they don't always have the same positions, but most of what you could say from a left perspective that would be critical of AOC would also be stuff that you could say about Bernie Sanders, Um in terms of uh, attitudes towards the Biden administration, in terms of some places where you might wish that, you know, they were less like normie Democrats, you know, but, um, but, you know, I, I think there, I mean, the fact that, you know, one of these is, uh, you know, one of these is a, uh, is an old man and, you know, and, uh, and, and the other, you know, as uh, is an attractive woman, you know, it's like this, I, I don't think, I don't think you need to be Sigmund Freud to think that there's like something going on there that, you know, that, that's, that's, uh, that, that exacerbates, you know, that exacerbates it in a lot of, in a lot of cases, but also, uh, but also I, I do think that like, there's, there's something like that the fact that people are this eager to say that anything that looks like a victory can't be, uh, like is revealing in itself because if you like if your if your goal is to uh, you know is to have like achieve like give everyone health care and end the wars and you know further down the line do things that are more radical than that uh then having as many people as possible elected who share as many of those goals as possible uh, would be, you know, would be all to the good. And, you know, and, and even if you do disagree with them about certain things, you know, you'd, you'd present that in a different way than you would when you're denouncing your bitter enemy. Right. I mean, and, and, you know, uh, just to say like in the, in the context of the, the, the one nine, uh, $1.9 trillion bill that was passed on one hand, I cannot come up with a more, less, a less efficient, more uh, corrupt ish, um, uh, prescription to get people healthcare than to have the government subsidize Cobra. It, it that mm-hmm. it's atrocious. It's atrocious. But at the other at the other time, like it's good 
that millions of people are going to get free health care for this period of time. Like that is good. And I, I think we have to sort of like recognize that that is good. The way that it's done is horrible. And it is. And you can also say that it was done that way because of how desperately afraid they are of setting up a, 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 a right. better, a more efficient and also more um, uh, equitable system. But yeah, if, pe- if people start getting government directly from the healthcare from the government, they'll get used to it. Yep. Yep. Um, all right. Well, uh, Ben Burgess, uh, real pleasure. We should do this again. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Folks can find, uh, give them an argument. When, when, when would people find that on Mondays? Uh, yeah. Give them an argument uh, is on Mondays uh, at, uh, at 8 PM. Uh, Eastern. Um, so uh, that's uh, and then uh, there there are other things going on during the week, but that's the uh, that's the main show uh, is at 8 p.m. Eastern on uh, Monday. And I guess uh, just throw in a quick plug if you do uh, if you do want to buy the book uh, "Canceling Comedians While the World Burns." Um, whereas I would rather the people buy it from Amazon than not buy it. Uh, I would also uh, I'd also say that. Uh, if you would like it to be packaged and shipped by people who aren't peeing in bottles because they, uh, they're trying to meet quotas enforced by constant electronic surveillance, uh, Red Emma's is a worker-owned bookstore in Baltimore that will ship it. You know, you can order it from online. So that's uh, redemmas.org. Uh, All right. We'll put a link uh, to the book at Red Emma's uh, in the podcast description and the YouTube description. Uh, and we'll also just throw in a link to uh, some folks we know who just pee in bottles and we'll send those to you. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, well, I mean, it's fine if if you're peeing in bottles because because you enjoy it. I mean, like if if you just that's your preferred place to pee, I'm sure you can do that if you you know if you work at a co-op. But um, but you know if if you do have the preference to to walk to the bathroom and you know and then you know wash your hands and walk back and all that stuff, I I, I do feel like that's something you should be able to do. I'm glad as a as a show we're normalizing the uh, the the peeing bottle fetish, right? I mean, so many people close to me have told me it's like you know this whole Amazon fight, right? It's uh, caused real discrimination. Yeah, no problem. Uh, ben Burgess, thanks again. Appreciate it. So, bye.